Thank you, Ron, for uh, your song selection and challenging us a little bit more this morning with uh, attempting to hit a melody. I'm not sure that I have much in me to hit any melody, but uh, appreciate the challenge all the same. So this is uh, the first time I've had the honor or privilege of uh, speaking a message right after New Year's Day, and I kind of sense that uh, maybe it would be appropriate to talk about 2015, right? Can everybody believe we're in 2015? We, we uh, know it's 2015 because we stayed up to see that ball drop at midnight, New York time. So uh, that was 9, 9 p.m. our time. And uh, I enjoyed that ball because it's... Uh, it has a Philips LEDs in it, in case you didn't know. So I have a special reason to appreciate it. But uh, one of the things we often talk about uh, in a New Year's type of message is New Year's resolution. What are you going to do in uh, 2015? Now, I have to confess that uh, I'm not one for a New Year's resolution. I, I may have tried to have one once or twice in my life, and uh, it wasn't that successful for me, so I've never particularly uh, tried to endorse New Year's resolution and convince others to do it. Now, for some people, it may work, and it may have been a, a good, a good uh, uh, experience, and certainly I'm not against New Year's resolution. The Bible doesn't say we need to have New Year's resolution, but uh, it also doesn't say we don't we can't have New Year's resolution. So it's fine if you have one. Um, but the Bible does say that uh, we do need uh, to be uh, doing what uh, really the last word in the hymn we sang said. I don't know if you noticed. Often we, we sing hymns and we don't think too much about these words. But the last line of... Uh, Precious Holy Bible was, uh, His commands obey, and in His grace growing, live for Him each day. In His grace growing. The idea is that as uh, Christians, our life shouldn't be in some sort of a, a state of rest. It should be in a process of growth. Right? And this is not just for uh, young, new believers. This is also for mature believers. And in fact, uh, the very first passage I want us to look at, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. We have uh, this thought. Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Philippi, and here he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, so this is written to mature believers, have this in mind, 
And if in anything you think otherwise, some of us might think otherwise, think that growing is not so important, uh, God will reveal even this to you. So certainly this is something God wants you to know, that you should be growing as a Christian. And my hope is if you haven't yet come to that conviction, you ought to be growing as a Christian. I hope that this message will bring uh, some conviction to your heart in that regard. Now, I like the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 12. He says he is pressing on that he may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And uh, what he's talking about there is that when Jesus saved you and saved me, he had a certain uh, goal in mind for us. He had some plan in view for our lives. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Whatever it is that Jesus had in mind for me when he saved me, I want that for myself. Now, we're not just talking about going to heaven. I mean, obviously, Jesus wants us to go to heaven. And uh, we will go to heaven if we have trusted him for our salvation. But even for our life here on earth right now, Jesus has a purpose. And he wants us to desire that same purpose that he has for us. I call this um, message the upward call or the upward call of God. And that's how I view it. God is calling us to step up. He is coming into our lives and working in our lives. He, I know I'm often convicted about some area of my life. The Lord will speak to me about it, and he wants me to change in that one area. Maybe uh, he wants me to, uh, to uh, forgive a brother or a sister that has offended me, and I haven't done so, and he's convicting me. He wants me to, to forgive that person, and when I do so, it's as if I took a step in this stairway that's leading upward, and after I've done it, he may reveal something else in my life. Perhaps I need to love my wife more, and I need to take that step. And it's like this upward call. God wants me to be more and more conformed to the image of his son, and it's something he's leading me day by day. It's like this upward call. He wants you to grow, and he wants me to grow. So how, how do we hear this upward call? How is it that I know what it is Jesus wants me to change in my life as I look at 2015? You know, will he uh, send me a text on my phone? Or uh, will he uh, give me a revelation in a dream? Or uh, do I need some other brother or sister to come uh, and prophesy? and tell me what it is that he wants me to do. Now, the Lord could certainly use various means, but uh, the chief mean that he used, and really the source of all the ways, is right here. Right? It's his word. The Bible. I was reading this morning in the book of Ezra, and uh, the people opened the book. This was after they were uh, exiled out of their land because of their sins against God, and God brought them back to the land. And on, on uh, I think, the first day of Tabernacles, Ezra opened the book and he started reading the word of God. 
And uh, as he was reading, the people started weeping. And he had to tell them, you know, don't weep. You know, this is a day of rejoicing. God commands us to rejoice <laughs> in tabernacle. But the Lord started a revival, a movement in the nation of Israel. And people returned to the Lord their God with all their heart. And they renewed the covenant that they had with God. They wanted to keep his, wo- keep his word. And what caused it? was the reading of the Word of God. It brought conviction to their heart. It changed the nation. And if you look in history, you will see that there's been often a series of revivals. God started the church uh, in the days of the apostles. The apostles were preaching. And then over time, uh, the church started changing direction. And instead of following the will of God, they started adding other things. They restored the priesthood. Uh, They uh, were reading the scriptures in a language people couldn't understand. The church as a church died, and God had to revive the church through uh, perhaps the Protestant movement or other movements over the years, but it was always a return to the Word of God. Uh, I'm reading a book that one of the brothers lent me that uh, looks at the history of the Brethren movement. So, you know, we're, we're Christians here, But if you look back in time, you will see that these type of churches started maybe 150 years ago uh, in England. And the early brethren, uh, individually, you see how God was speaking to them through the scripture. And that revolutionized their life. They threw away whatever uh, uh, vestiges there were from other religions that they have come from, from other churches. And they said, no, we just want to follow the word of God. And uh, God wants to do the same thing in your life and in my life. He wants to transform us through his word. Through his word. And uh, so I was, uh, oh, I was going to read this verse. I, I often uh, put verses down. And uh, then I fail to read them and I feel bad for those people in the back who put them uh, faithfully on the, on the presentation. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The point here is that the Bible is living. It can give me a new message today than what I read in it. Yesterday, it can speak to me in a way that it doesn't speak to you. Why? Because it's alive. It's not just a dead book. It is the living word of God. And it changes the lives of those who read it and allow it to work in their lives. Now, how can we be in a place where this word has the maximum impact on our lives and changes and transforms our lives and causes us to grow the way we would like to grow in the year 2015. Uh, let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 8, to a familiar parable. It's called the parable of the sower. And what I hope to get from this parable are some practical uh, insights into how can I... Uh, get the most out of the Word of God in 2015. What do I need to do to get the maximum out of it? Now, this uh, parable in Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 4, reads, 
And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him, or Jesus, from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. <coughs> so this is a parable. And uh, a parable, as most of you are familiar, is a story taken out of everyday life, but God has in it a spiritual truth that he's trying to reveal to us. Now, in this particular case, uh, Jesus interprets for us what that spiritual truth is. Uh, maybe we'll jump to verse 11. He says, Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So, the spiritual truth behind this parable, and uh, maybe we can have the picture here, <coughs> is uh, uh, in, the, in the story you have a man who is a, a sower. He goes around and he's sowing seed. He's taking it out of his, uh, what looked like a shawl there that has seeds in it, and he's spreading it on the ground. And some of the seed falls on the wayside, which is that yellow patch behind him. And uh, the uh, wayside, because people are walking on it, the, the earth is compact. And the seeds can't go into that earth. That's why when you go on hikes and you notice vegetation all around you, in the, where you're walking, nothing grows. The reason for it is people are walking and they're compacting the ground so much that the seeds cannot germinate and nothing grows on the wayside. The birds eat it. And some of the seeds fall on the rocks and maybe there's a little bit of dirt on the rock. And so there'll be some growth but whatever is growing is not going to survive very long because there's not enough earth. The roots just can't find enough soil to have moisture to survive the heat of the day. So whatever grows there will die. Some falls among the thorns. There may not be uh, clear thorny areas there, but if you're like me and you've ever tried uh, planting your own vegetable garden, you find that at some point it's not just your vegetables that are growing. There's some weeds that are growing with your vegetables, and you have to make the, the decision. Are you going to spend the time you know, picking the weeds 
out of your garden, or will you just let the weeds grow together with your vegetables, a decision I've probably made more than once. And uh, what you find in that case is that you're not going to get as much fruit, right? There's competition for the resources that your plants need, the moisture, the sunlight, and as a result, you're not going to harvest as much vegetables as you were hoping for. <clears throat> and some falls on good ground and yields fruit. Now, Jesus tells us that uh, this is a picture of the word of God. The sower is spreading the word of God. And it's the word of God that is either growing in our heart or it's not growing in our heart. And that's how we want to apply it this morning. I know we often apply this uh, a parable to salvation and that's a good application, solid application. But we want to think about it for ourselves as believers. What can I learn from this parable about what I need to do if I want to receive the word of God in 2015 and have the impact that I want it to have in my life. Okay, so that's how we will look at this parable today. What are the keys for obeying the word of God in my life, for bearing fruit to the word of God in my life? Well, the first key, if you think about it, is we need the seed. We need the seed. That's the word of God. When I was... Uh, first saved, I remember uh, talking with a fellow student in Berkeley, and he told me that he's been a believer for two years, and uh, you know the difference it made in his life to be reading the Word of God every morning. And that penetrated to me, and so I've been generally faithful over my 19 years as a believer in spending time in the Word of God. Uh, now, it wasn't you know, always as profitable as it has to be, ought to be. It wasn't always as long as it ought to be. And I didn't always pay as much attention as I have to, but I've tried to read it every day. So that's a good place to start. If, if you're not spending some time in this book every day, that's a good place to start. There's no way I can obey the Word of God without hearing what the Word of God says to me. I have to expose myself to the Word of God. The seeds have to be planted in order for there to be some growth. Now, a uh, number of years ago, I uh, realized that there's a significant chunk of my time that was available uh, for better uses than I was putting it up to that time. I, I have to drive to work. Uh, commute is probably about half an hour. been getting worse lately. <laughs> Maybe up to 45 minutes each way. So we're talking about an hour, an hour and a half each way. And uh, I've tried doing different things, like uh, listening to the radio, listening to news. I've tried uh, listening to books on tapes. Uh, usually they were like fantasy books or things like that. And uh, it wasn't a very profitable use of my time. And the Lord convicted me uh, one year. I was listening to uh, a sermon on the Internet. And uh, I realized how much I was missing more of the Word of God in my life, and I decided, well, I'll just burn a bunch of messages on an MP3 disk. So it's just a standard CD, but you can save files in MP3 mode instead of audio, and then instead of like one hour per CD, you can have like 60 hours. So I took, I don't know, maybe 50 sermons, and I burned them on that CD, and then I started listening to them as I was driving in my car. And there was immediate impact on my life. So... 
there is the, certainly spending 10, 15, 20 minutes reading the Word of God is great. But if there's opportunity to get even more of it in your life, you will benefit. The more time you spend in the Word of God, whether it is reading the Scripture, listening to it on audio, listening to sermons, even Christian books on tape, the better it is, the more opportunity the sower has to be sowing the Word of God in your life. So that's number one. We have to spend time in the Word of God if we want to obey the Word of God. Second, and uh, the first failure is the seeds that go on the wayside. Now, it doesn't say so in our passage. You would have to uh, turn to the book of Matthew to understand what's wrong with the seeds uh, that fell on the wayside. Jesus explains it to us in Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So the problem in the wayside is when we don't understand the word of God. So I can spend you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes more in the word of God and not understand anything I'm reading. Guess what? It's not going to do me any good. Right? If, if, if I am to obey the word of God, I have to understand what God is saying in his word. As a young believer, when I was baptized, Bill uh, gave me a signed copy of his commentary. And that was a great start for a young believer to have a commentary. So if I'm reading the word of God and I'm getting to a difficult portion, I don't understand what it's saying. I don't have to just gloss over it. You know, I can stop, open Bill's commentary or, or another commentary, and that will help me understand what the Word of God is saying. So if you don't have a commentary, talk to me after the message. I'll help you get one. Okay, it's an open, open invitation. Freely you have received, freely give. I got a commentary for free. So if you need help getting a commentary, I'll help you. Um, Another, another key thing, and I kind of mention it, is time. It's great to uh, try to read through the Bible in a year. I'm not against it at all. But uh, it shouldn't justify just glossing over the Scripture. Okay? To read the Bible in a year, you'll probably have to read on average three or four chapters a day. And if I only have 10 or 20 minutes, I can't take the time to stop <laughs> right, and look every few verses at a commentary and still get through the whole Bible in a year. But uh, getting through the whole Bible and not understanding what it says doesn't help you either. So it's better, in my opinion, to take smaller chunks if you have to in order to understand, to spend time uh, meditating on the Word a little bit or looking in commentary or anything else you need to do like that. Uh, Finally, uh, probably the single biggest thing that helped me understand the Scripture was being discipled. Uh, I met with uh, Rick Bellis for... I forget exactly how long, but it was years. <laughs> and that was the single most helpful thing to me in understanding the Word of God. So, if you've never been discipled, <coughs> excuse me, if you've never been discipled by anyone, if you've never met with an older believer, went through the Scripture with them, uh, worked on different areas of your life with them, uh, that's, that would be perhaps the greatest benefit to you. Again, it requires time. But uh, without understanding the Word of God, it will not profit us. Okay, so the first thing, we need to be exposed to the Word of God. Second thing, we need to understand the Word of God. Third thing, we see the seeds that fell on the rock. And uh, we need to 
to be yielded to the word of God. A, a rock doesn't yield. The roots are trying to get in and the rock is pushing back. And uh, when I was first saved, I was uh, in a relationship with a Christian girl. Most of you know that and know who she is. But, uh, you know, I, I, I dated her before we were saved. And uh, after we were saved, it seemed to be all the more good reason to be dating her because she was Christian and I was a Christian. But uh, in the Lord's eyes, there was a problem with the relationship because it started when he was not first in my life. And uh, he, he found different ways and times to try to convict me and show me I needed to break off that relationship. And I was not willing to break that relationship off. So it was like tap, tap, tap. No, Lord, this part of my life I'm not willing to submit to you on. I'm willing to to uh, spend more time reading my word. I'm willing to go and tell people about Jesus. I'm willing to do all kinds of things you want me to do, but this part of my life is off limits. That was a rock in my life. And you know what? The Lord wasn't going to use me for anything else. He wasn't going to ask me to do anything else if that part of my life was not yielded to him. Now, it doesn't have to be something as big as a relationship. It could be something as small as a grudge. A brother or a sister has sinned against you, and you have a grudge in your heart against them, and the Lord's been tapping, and you're saying, Lord, you don't know what they did to me. (laughs) I just can't let go of that. You know, until you yield to the Lord on whatever it is he's speaking to you about, the Lord doesn't have anything else to say to you. And so, if we want to respond to the Word of God, we have to yield. Whatever it is He is speaking to you about, that has to be taken out of your life. It says in uh, the Old Testament that we need to, uh, I think, uh, uh, plow or break up the clods of earth. You know, whatever it is that's in our lives that's blocking the Word of God has to be broken, has to be taken out of the way for the Word of God to have the impact in my life that I want it to have. So, first, we we have to expose ourselves to the Word. Second, we have to understand the Word. Third, the Word needs to have free access into our lives. The fourth, we need to... uh, The Word needs our undivided attention. And uh, we see that in the seed that falls among the thorns. Uh, if, If there's other things in my life that are taking away attention, are taking away my time, they're taking away my energy, the Word of God is less likely to have an impact in my life. Jesus specifies here three different, um, three different kind of distractions we have in our lives. He says in verse 14, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, one, riches, Two, and pleasures of life. Three, and uh, all these things I've experienced in my own life. Often I have uh, something that's really bothering me and distracting me. My child uh, might be sick or I might be in the process of trying to close on buying a house and things are not going quite well or I have some sort of uh, you know, health problem and these things are really a distraction and I you know, come to my quiet time, you know, I open, you know, my Bible and it remains sitting open and, you know, my mind is somewhere else. 
because I'm worried. These cares are upon me. And uh, my advice to you is the uh, same thing uh, the Lord uh, used for me to help me in those situations. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing. And the word anxious there is the same Greek word that Jesus is using by cares. So these, these things that are taking away from my time with the Lord um, are these same things we have here in Philippians 4. Be anxious, these anxious thoughts. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you have a care, fine. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Spend the first part of your quiet time praying about whatever it is that's weighing upon your heart. And then the Lord will give you the peace that you need to read his word and glean things out of his word. Uh, the other next one Jesus mentions, mentioned is uh, riches. And uh, for us, this often relates to careers. We want to get the job that uh, will get us the most money, right? <laughs> so that we can do whatever it is that money allows us to do, whether it is solve our problems or whether it's to enable us to do fun things we couldn't do without money. Uh, it's, it becomes a priority for us. And often that means I'll try to get the job that gives me the most money. Well, guess what? Those are the jobs that will take the most out of your life. And you'll have nothing left to give to the Lord. Uh, I, I made a, a kind of a covenant with myself when I looked for my first job. Uh, I asked the Lord for a job that would be within a 30-minute commute of, uh, of where I was living. And uh, because I didn't want to spend more time than that uh, on the road. And I asked for a job that doesn't require more than 40 hours a week of work. Now, most workplaces are not going to promise you that, uh, you know, they're not going to take you more than 40 hours a week. Uh, they'll say something like, well, you know, however long you need to do your job. Right? That's how much time you want. But uh, I've, I've tried something like this. Well, can you tell me, on average, how much someone in my position works in your company? And, uh, you know, sometimes I've heard answers of 50 or 60 hours a week. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in this job. You know, really surprised the person that interviewed me, that I was willing to walk away from a job because it required that much. But, uh, you know, it was, it was that or you know, living for the world instead of living for God. You can't do both. Jesus says you cannot serve mammon and God. You can only have one master. <clears throat> the third uh, thing that Jesus uh, points out to is uh, pleasures of life. And I think of all the entertainment that's out there. Uh, Sharon and I, I think I've mentioned it before, we'll usually see one movie a year. And usually it's during our Christmas break because we have our babysitters there with my parents. And so we did. Uh, I've, when I grew up, I was a fan of uh, The Hobbit. You know, I read that book like 20 or 30 times. And uh, so when the movies came out, I had to see the movie. Uh, I'm not recommending it, but that was me. Uh, and uh, the only thing that fit in that babysitting slot, you know, we only had a few hours to see it, was the uh, show in the IMAX 3D. So we went to see The Hobbit IMAX 3D. And, you know, it's amazing, 
you know, what the world, the amount of money and technology the world will pour into entertaining you. And um, the problem is, if we spend our time being entertained, and I'm not speaking against, you know, entertainment uh, completely, you know, it, it may be fine to watch a movie occasionally uh, or other things, but if I'm spending all of my time with entertainment, I'm not spending my time for the Lord. Uh, C.S. Studd is a, really a good example of a person who was uh, focused on the Lord. And uh, he wrote this uh, poem. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart only one life it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me so, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And uh, this was written by C.T. Studd. He was, as I understand it, a, a cricket star. He was on the, uh, uh, I guess, the British team. So he was a college student, but he was so good, he was representing all of England in international games. And uh, he left that, all the glory that it held before him to become a missionary, first in China 
and uh, then in Africa. And you look at his life, and that was a man who dedicated himself for God. And uh, we can often be distracted by the pleasures of this life and miss eternity. Uh, All the things that we do in our life uh, will go away, except for the things we have done for Christ. So if we want to spend our lives, our 2015, in a way that's meaningful, it has to be in obedience to the word of God. Now, Jesus closes, so so that was uh, the practical um, uh, points toward obeying the word of God. First, we have to hear it. Second, we need to understand it. Third, we need to be yielded to whatever the Lord is saying to us. Fourth, whatever the thorns and the distractions in our lives have to be taken out so we could be focused on the word of God. Now, Jesus has a a final encouragement for us in uh, the next couple of verses, verse 16. So back to Luke 8, verse 16. He says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken away from him. So we'll, we'll look at this closely, verse by verse. First of all, Jesus is talking about a lamp. And uh, when you have a lamp, uh, in this room there's plenty of light, but if you were in a room that just had one lamp shining, and uh, you were to put it under a bed, will the room have light or will it be dark? It will be dark, right? You won't see anything. One of the things I learned uh, as I study about efficiency of LEDs and lights is a lot of time we use lights very inefficiently by the kind of fixtures that we use. So I have in my, my bedroom a very nice lampstand, but it has a very dark shade. It looks very pretty. But as a result, it really doesn't give a lot of light for the room. It's fine for me for reading, but it really limits the amount of light. What, what uh, Jesus wants us to think here is, what are we doing with the Word of God? Are we using the Word of God to illuminate our life? When I'm reading the Word of God, do I put my life under it and allow it to expose what's going on in my life? And uh, that's what he tells us to do. We shouldn't hit the lamp. Under a bed, we should put it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. We need to let the word of God shine upon our life. Then he encourages us in verse 17 by saying, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. How is that an encouragement? Well, if I think that nobody knows what's going on in my life, I don't feel... um, perhaps the need or the priority of obeying the word of God in my life because it's secret. Nobody knows what's happening in my life. So I can, on the outside, appear to be uh, a Christian keeping the word of God, and yet on the inside, I may not be applying it to my life. What Jesus is saying here, you know, eventually all these walls will be removed. Everybody will know what's going on in my life. There will be no secret. So why not 
use the light of the word of God to fix whatever is in my life. So that when all the secrets are revealed, I have nothing to be ashamed of. Right? Now, the other side is also good. If I'm, I may be obeying the word of God in my life, but it may be something very small that's not obvious to the outside world. And I'm saying, you know, I do it, but nobody will know that I did it. What's the value of it? But just saying everything will be known. Whatever it is you do for the Lord, even if nobody can see it now, eventually it will be revealed. That's what the judgment stone is about, is to reveal all the jewels in our life, all the sacrifices you have made, everything that you have done for God. God wants to bring it out to the open. He wants to be glorified with what he has done with your life. Everything will be revealed. So a good reason to apply the word of God to my life. Everything that I do will be revealed one day. So it's really worthwhile to apply the word of God to my life. The second encouragement is in verse 18. It says, Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away from him. So what is it that we're given? We're given light from the word of God. Who is it that has? He who has is the one who takes the word of God and apply it to his life. And Jesus says that person will receive more. Whoever doesn't have is the person who he had the word of God, but he doesn't apply it to their lives. And we have an illustration here with the parable. The reason Jesus is speaking a parable here, he basically shifted language to a language that those who have been listening to the word of God up to now can understand what he is saying. Those who have not been listening to the word of God or haven't been obeying the word of God can no longer understand what Jesus is saying. Uh, if the Lord is revealing something in my life and I'm not responding to it, the Lord doesn't have any reason to reveal anything else for me because it just puts more responsibility upon me and the Lord knows I'm not going to obey it. But if I have taken the step, the upward step, and I've taken what the Lord has given me and I apply it to my life, the Lord gives me more. So to him who has, more will be given. And uh, this should be a New Year's resolution or a desire for 2015 is to take those upward steps. And it could be that the next step that the Lord is revealing to you is not very appealing. But as you take that step, he reveals to you the next step. And that's the upward call of God. He calls us to himself. He wants us to become more like the Lord Jesus. And he will continue to reveal to you every step as you trust him and obey his voice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you that when you saved us, you had a plan uh, for our lives. Lord, we confess we often fall short of our lives. We often don't um, spend as much time in your word as we have to, or we may fail to uh, uh, apply it to our lives as we ought to. We think of uh, 2015, we think of the incredible uh, value and power of your word to change lives and do great things for it. Lord, we pray that uh, you help us uh, make this a year where we uh, heed the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and become more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.